time to get those bonus miles. Here's your girl, Autumn Miles. Hey, hey, guys. It's your girl, Autumn Miles. I am actually in person right now, and I... Let me tell you guys. We fought for, through an ice storm in Texas which y'all know we don't come out of our houses in Texas when it's icing, but we fought through an ice storm to come and to meet my guest that we're going to have today. And she's sitting right in front of me. And I love it when I get to do an in-person interview. So when we heard she was going to be in Dallas, we were like, ah, yes, we want to have her. Her name is Nicole Zazowski, right? Yes. Well done. <laughs> and she has written a book that is going to bless your heart. Y'all, in my production meeting, I, I was blessed as a result of the contents in this book. I think um, it is a book that is like a right now word. And it's amazing how the Lord does that. You know, he's sort of, he, he always goes ahead of us and he... Um, gives us content to meet the culture whenever it releases. And, and I love that about it. Let me welcome her to the show. Um, and, and we're just going to pretend like everyone is applauding wildly because we know that they are in their cars with their Chipotle burritos. Um, welcome, Nicole, to the show. It's so glad. To, I'm so glad to have you here. And it's so good to see you in person. Yes, I'm so happy to be here talking with you face to face. Now, Nicole is from Connecticut. Yes. So ice is like no biggie for you, right? No biggie. Yeah, this is my every day for about seven months. When does the ice clear in Connecticut? Not as soon as you would hope. I would, the leaves are just coming back on the trees in May. It's what? late. Yeah. Oh. April is a lot of teasing. So there's some warm days and then it drops down. Uh, we've had snow in April. Oh my goodness. Many times. So I remember growing up in, in, in Indiana one Easter, I was like seven and we, and it was snowing in Indiana on Easter and you, you, and we're on these cute, like pastel yellow dresses. pastel dresses, but you, you have a ugly winter coat over it. Yeah. We've totally, we've totally done that. I did that growing up. Uh, but you made it. You're here. Cassie and I made it. No <laughs> lie, guys. We almost got in an accident on the way here, which would not have been my fault. Some crazy driver in Dallas, guys. Um, but Nicole is here to talk about her book. I love, love, love this book. The name of the book is What If It's Wonderful? You guys ever, um, you guys catch yourself thinking, you know, this is just not going to turn out right. You guys find yourself thinking, when is the next shoe going to drop? When is, you know, I'm hopeful now, but it probably, it probably won't work out. We all are those people, or we know of someone who is super duper negative and, um, God love you. And he does, he totally loves you. And we love you too. But I think this is a good challenge to that mindset. What if it's wonderful? Nicole, tell me about your heart behind this book. Where did it come from? Um, I know, but I want them to know where it came from. So go for it. Tell me everything. Yeah, so it really came out of a season of a lot of heartache for me. I had walked through a season that was largely characterized by change and loss. And when you go through a season like that, I know... Every listener knows what that feels like. Um, there's the loss itself, whatever the tragedy was or the painful thing, the betrayal, whatever that was. And then there's the cost. 
And the cost is the impact to our identity or our sense of safety. And what I didn't realize for a long time and took me a long time to realize is that the part of the cost for me is that when I entered a joyful season, it was accompanied by a lot of fear. And I was so afraid to embrace the joy that was right in front of me for fear that it would be taken away. Um, And so I protected myself with a lot of pessimism and cynicism, just like you were talking about, practicing that disappointment, rehearsing disaster, thinking it would somehow make the pain hurt less if it did come. And what I learned is it doesn't work at all. And the the research really Mm -hmm. supports that idea that it doesn't prevent any pain, but it does keep us from a lot of delight. And I woke up one morning and I just was so grieved. Mm. And I thought, I do not want to miss out. And I don't want any listener to miss out on their beautiful God-given life because we are so busy preparing for the worst. Okay. You said a lot (laughs) in like one minute. Let me backtrack. So you went through a season of change and loss. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about that season for a second? Yes, it started with a move across the country that was uh, unexpected and not what I would have chosen for myself, but what was right for my husband and I. We followed a job opportunity for him and really left a place that was really comfortable for me. Um, and, and that ended up being a real gift to be mm-hmm. pulled out of that place because what I learned in retrospect was... I was comfortable without Christ and that, Oh, come on. (laughs) And that was, um, you know, one of the ways that I recognize that the enemy works in our lives. It doesn't always look like an obvious attack. It Mm. was kind of lulling me to sleep, Mm. um, with supports that were not God, that Mm. my, that my faith was propped up really by all these other comforts like others approval and, Um, my own success, my own hard work. Um, And so when I was pulled out of that place, it was really painful. Mm. And that was really just the beginning of a season that was really hard. Um, My husband and I discovered a medical diagnosis that makes it more likely than not for me to miscarry when Mm. I do get pregnant. And so we suffered through five miscarriages. Um, oh my gosh. In a matter of about four years. And just that chronic loss had a cumulative impact. Um, became really hard to rise to the delight in my days and look to the future with hope and expectation. And there's been a lot of miracles in that story that I outline in the book. But um, yeah, and just, you know, reconnecting with a community that. I didn't know anybody and, and trying to find my way in my career and all of the, the adjustments that come with that. So you move across the country and, oh man, we could have, we could have spent the whole time on what you just said about you were, you were living as a Christian without Christ and totally comfortable. Um, so you move and then you experience all this loss and you, your words said um, there was a cost that came with that. So, um, I think we all can identify with like, oh my goodness, I've been pulled out of something or something, something happened or even miscarriages. I mean, miscarriage there, I have so many friends that have had miscarriages and it's almost like a silent pain that people go through almost by themselves, you know, 
So even in that, there's a lot of grief. But we've all been through seasons like that. But you're saying there's a cost to it. Um, talk about that for for a little bit, and just explain to our listeners that might not even know they there is a cost to it. T- talk about that for a second. Sure. When we walk through pain, um, again, whether that's a betrayal or or a tangible loss like a miscarriage or a death in the family, any kind of painful circumstance, there's a there's messages that we internalize largely based on the stories that we've lived up to that point. So you and I, Autumn, could go through the same thing tomorrow, and I might feel not good enough and inadequate, and you might feel alone and unsafe because of the stories that we've lived Mm. that we're bringing to that moment. And so the cost is, you know, people say, well, I know why I'm hurt. This happened. Mm. And yes, that's true. That might be the trigger, but it's not the, the painful message that we're carrying around. And so after this season, one of the costs for me was that I felt wildly out of control. Mm. Life felt very unsafe and I felt powerless um, Mm. to to feel any kind of joy or hope because I, I had assumed that celebration was always on the other side of a dream realized or a goal achieved or some sort of shift in my circumstances. I was waiting for a reason to Mm. feel joy. Okay. Um, the book is called what if it's wonderful? When was that shift that you shifted from feeling unsafe, unstable, all of those things to wait a minute. What if it's not that talk to me about that moment? Because we need to have some of those moments. I feel like after the pandemic and all this stuff, I feel like a lot of people are searching for the one. Where is the wonderful? Where is the good Jesus? Where is the good God? You know, where is the celebration? So I walked into a different kind of season. You know, I don't think our our seasons are ever all pain or all joy, but they do tend to lean in one direction or another. And I started experiencing a season of more joy, more breakthrough, more good news. And I just noticed this hesitation within myself. And it made me really sad because I realized that, yes, there was the loss itself, but there was also the loss I was experiencing because I refused to embrace this joy. And I was sitting in my friend's kitchen Mm. and she had this cute little wooden sign above her kitchen window. We were talking about, is hope a good idea? What if, what if dreaming, uh, you know, about some of the desires of my heart just makes a fool of me and Mm. I'm left more heartbroken because I, I did that dreaming. I took a chance on hope and we were having this great conversation and she had this cute little wooden sign over her kitchen window that said, what if it's actually going to be okay? Mm. And it was just this question that interrupted that line of thinking that was trying so hard to protect me, but not very helpful at all. (laughs) And I kind of echoed that question. I said it out loud and she just looked at me and she goes, Oh honey, what if it's wonderful? Mm. And that became a question that I use in my everyday life to interrupt what I know is my brain's way of trying to protect me, but is not very helpful. And that's, this is not blind optimism or toxic positivity where we dismiss pain or don't name it. Um, but this is just 
you know, joy trusts that both our, our hope and our heartache are real mm. and there is a reason to hope. Mm. So talk to me about this. You have a chapter, uh, chapter seven specifically, and I want to talk to you about this. I mean, we're, we're big Jesus on, on our show. Yay. You say, <laughs> where is Jesus? And I, I love that caught my eye as I was uh, reviewing the book because this is a relevant, honest, raw question that a lot of believers are asking today. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about specifically chapter seven, where is Jesus? And um, talk me through the theme of that chapter. Yes. So spoiler alert, um, <laughs> the, my, my son is born in that chapter. And there was this tension for me because I, one of the, the beautiful things about that painful season that I described was that I felt God's presence so close and a new kind of relationship developed between he and I in, in the, that painful place. And one of my hesitancies in embracing this joy and this good news and, and really his good gifts in my life was that I didn't have a great uh, idea of what it looked like to engage with God in the light of my joy. Mm-hmm. It was so clear to me where he was in my pain because mm-hmm. I was so desperate for him. Yeah. But when I stepped into the light of my joy, I, I was not as aware of where he was. And I worried that that intimacy that had developed in the dark would go away mm-hmm. in the light. It was almost like I pictured God walking me over that uneven ground and was so close. And then as soon as I got to ground that was soft underfoot, letting go and saying, okay, have fun. You let me know when you need me again. Yeah. And I didn't want to lose that closeness in my joy. And so the rest of the book talks about how to cultivate that, Mm. um, in the light of your joy. So that is, that is, that's such a good point though, too. I feel like when we, okay. So when we go through trials, we're looking for supernatural help. We're looking for God, heaven to touch us on earth. We need that. And then some of those mountaintop times. And and honestly, I mean, the Lord even charged the nation of Israel. Don't forget. Yeah. Don't forget when it gets good, because look at what I brought you through. Don't forget. Why do you think that's a temptation to not bring God into that joy that we have or not recognize him. I mean, I know that's not one of your questions, but I'm just wondering, I'm just thinking about that. It is like, like for instance, um, I waited, you know, so long to get married and all of a sudden here's my husband. Well, I've got my husband. So by God, you know what I mean? Or I've waited so long to have children and okay, I've got my kids. So thanks God. I'll see you when I need you, when I need you again. Why do you think that's a temptation for us as humans? I think it's an issue of misplaced hope. I think that when our hope and our peace and our joy is invested in the gift and not the giver, Mm. we see God as the power to our own plans instead of him being the gift and the prize Mm. himself. And when we see that he's the gift, then we know him as a gift and we know our need for him in all seasons. When, when our peace and joy is invested in the gift itself, we run the risk of only coming to him 
when we need something from him and not not necessarily him and so that one of the the gifts of suffering I think even though we're not going to call suffering a good thing um, but one of the gifts it can bring is it reorganizes our joy and what we love um, and and doesn't we don't we stop trying to glean more joy from a gift than it's meant to give and we recognize Christ as the only thing that belongs at the center of our affection this book is very reminiscent of James mm-hmm. when he says yes. count it all joy brethren yes. when you encounter trials because the testing of your faith produces perseverance and um it, it actually that just hit me right because when I, we, I it didn't hit me in the in the production meeting but there is um it's interesting that he uses that word joy because something will be produced from it. I have a burden for people that have come through the pandemic, people that, I mean, I feel, I feel like that's the glaring, like what the world has been through. Like, I mean, it's super obvious, but the pandemic didn't, it didn't shake everybody. Um, what I do know, and I was actually having a conversation this morning with, um, with one of the gals that, that we work with other things happened to families during the pandemic that had nothing to do with the pandemic that kind of set them into this. When's the next shoe going to drop, you know, whatever, like a miscarriage, like Amanda, one of our producers, um, her husband was in the motorcycle accident and almost died but totally paralyzed. So that had nothing to do with the pandemic, but they're, they're, they had reeled from that. Um, and she even said this morning, I, I have been there where I'm like, I, it's really, really hard for me sometimes to see the joy in that. Can we just get super personal and talk directly to the listener who has been through a miscarriage, a loss, a betrayal, whatever, and they're reeling, and they're only looking for the negative. Can you just minister to that person right now and encourage them to see, hey, what if it is wonderful? What if it's wonderful? No, this became real to me last week again when uh, we had a tragedy in our community, an accident um, that, that took a young man's life. And I just, I I was really noticing in myself here, I've written this book on celebration (laughs) and what does that look like? If I'm going to say that this is available to all of us, not as a reward for good things, but as a practice, as a discipline, if I'm going to say that, what does that look like when we suffer, Mm. when we don't feel like rejoicing? Mm And I, I noticed in myself this desire. I, I live in Connecticut, really close to the Long Island shore. And one of the things that my family does regularly is we look for sea glass on the beach. And I just noticed this desire to do that that day. And it's, it's the way that when I spend time with the Lord alone, that's what I do. I go to the beach and I just pick up sea glass. I feel like the Lord lives at the beach. <laughs> Extra close there, He's right? Very yes. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's so interesting because it was an awful February day in Connecticut. Like not a day that you would naturally want to go look for sea glass. But, but I didn't think it was coincidental that that was happening in the midst of my grief. And what I realized is that when you look at the celebrations outlined in the Old Testament, they're about remembrance. Mm. They're about remembering God's character. They're about remembering what he's carried you through in the past 
and the way that he's moved in your life. And so picking up those pieces of sea glass where I spend time with the Lord was my way of recognizing that celebration may not be able to look like rejoicing at all times, but it, it can look like remembrance. Mm. Um, because that's what we see in the Old Testament. Those, those celebrations were rhythmic. They didn't come when it was a good time or when the work was done mm. or when the Israelites had accomplished something wonderful. It, they happened in rhythm because it was time to remember that God is good and he is moving in our lives and remembering him in the past will be our courage to move forward and, and have an expectant heart for what he'll do in the future. I love that. Remember, he has always been faithful. Um, what is one practical thing that my listeners can do to head in a joyful direction? What's a practical step that they could take? So my favorite first step is, it's in the book, but it's a practice of savoring. And what savoring does is it celebrates the ordinary. Mm. Our brains are very efficient. They only want to hang on to what they think they have to hang on to, which sadly is usually negative things or really big, obvious things. And so these delightful moments in your day or these moments of connection with the people that you love are not things that your brain thinks it needs um, unless you train it otherwise. And the way that you savor is you just ask your five traditional senses what they're going to remember about a moment. Hmm. So what are you seeing? What are you smelling? What are you hearing? What are you tasting? And what do you feel? And that just cements that memory. And it can, it can be an awful day. <laughs> and, and maybe there's one snapshot. My, my friend said the other day that, that she just sat down and she has four teenagers. And with their activities, they're rarely sitting down around the table for dinner together all at once. And she just noticed the six of them, um, her and her husband and her four kids around the table at dinner Maybe it wasn't even a perfect dinner. Maybe there was fighting at the dinner table. But just savoring the fact that they were all there, that one snapshot is all you need to do to savor. And I love this practice because it's doable for all of us. Yes. We don't need to wait for something to change or achieve that goal or fulfill that dream to make it happen. These are practices that help us cultivate mm -hmm. celebration in our lives, and all of them in the book are like that. I think, do you think that the pandemic kind of made us all savor a little more? I, I hope noticed, so. <laughs> I noticed like once we came through all the crazy stuff, looking at my children yes. and thinking, this is really funny. Yeah. I need to remember that you said this. Yes. <laughs> or, wow, that was a really good pitch mm -hmm. at that baseball game. Mm -hmm. I need to log this away. Mm -hmm. And I've still been doing it. for the, not, not that I would ever, like, you know, I mean, everything is, I celebrate everything. Everything Good. is a big deal in my life, uh, which is why I like the book. <laughs> but I'm thinking those little things that maybe I would have been paying attention to someone wants, you know, a drink. No, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm zeroed in on the fact that Jude is pitching my 13-year-old. I'm going to watch him do this and lock that in. And I feel like that's exactly what you just said. Yes. No, I, I hope so. I, I think when we confront things we can't change and the pandemic was a very good example of that, yeah. 
there's an invitation to let it change us. And Mm. I think we are more, our celebration is more oriented toward the eternal Mm. and what matters most in life. And so relationships with God and relationships with our, our people, Mm. um, is what matters. And so I, I hope that we will continue to hang on to that, um, after our, loves and what matters to us have been reorganized by that painful season. I love this concept. I love this book. I feel like it's a right now word. The name of the book, if you're just tuning in, is What If It's Wonderful? I'm going to have to wrap wrap up, but um, Nicole Zazowski is her name, um, and this is out this week. This is out this week, so go pick it up wherever it is that books are sold, wherever you can get it, get your hands on it. Nicole, where can people get a hold of you? Yes, NicoleZazowski.com is my website. Z-A-S-O-W-S-K-I is my Thank last you for name. It for us. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just at Nicole Zazowski on Instagram, which is the social media platform I hang out the most. Yeah. Perfect. Go get it. If you're negative and you know who you are, go get this book because it will be a blessing to you. Nicole, thank you so much for being on the show today. This was fun. So fun to connect with you. Love this. It's going to bless so many people. All right. I'll see you guys Tuesday. Catch me back for a brand new episode of the Autumn Mile Show. To book Autumn for your next speaking engagement, go to autumnmiles.com.